Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast, with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going today. We've been doing a series called In Christ. And so we've been just walking through the book of Ephesians, just chunks of scripture at a time. And what I love about doing this is as we open the word, we're, we're digging into what it said, digging into what he said to the original audience and what God is speaking to us today through that. And also it makes us talk about stuff we don't always talk about in church. And the great thing is if you get mad, you can't get mad at me because I didn't pick it. It was God, you know, God's word in line there. So today we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 33. I do apologize. I forgot to put the stuff in the Uversion app. So those of you that are trying to go to Uversion, I apologize. I realized this morning and by then it was too late. So you'll have to actually use your, your Bible and uh, you can still have the, the phone for the verses, but not for the notes. I apologize. Well, today we're going to get into a little bit of marriage here in Ephesians chapter 5. And I read a story about a guy who was he was a millionaire, and he loved to collect weird stuff. And one of the things he loved to collect was live alligators. So he had a collection of live gators, and he kept them in his swimming pool in his backyard. So, you know, it was just kind of a fun novelty. And so one night he was having a party at his house, and he had a bunch of people there, and he, uh, he was showing them all his alligators. And he said, you know what, guys? I got this beautiful young daughter. She's 23. I'll give a million bucks or my daughter's hand in marriage to the first guy who can swim across the pool of gators and come out the other side. A couple of seconds later, they heard a splash, and they look, and this guy is just swimming like crazy going across the pool, and he hops out the other end, and he's just fine, not even a scratch on him. The guy said, that is incredible. He said, do you want the million dollars, or do you want to marry my daughter? And the guy's like, I don't want your stinking money, and I don't want your daughter. I want to know who threw me in the pool. And so, <laughs> so I know some of you guys in this room would swim across a gator-filled pool for your wives still to this day. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but <laughs> marriage is complicated, isn't it? And Paul knew that, that marriage could be a difficult institution, but it can also be the greatest institution. And so as we're coming through Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's been talking about a lot of things. The last couple of weeks, he's been talking about living as people who walk in the light of Christ. He's been talking very, very practically about how we live out our faith among those around us and how we show the love of Jesus to the world around us. And so today he's moving on from that and he's getting real specific about how we show the love of Christ in our relationships. Now I know there's some of you guys that are here today and say this doesn't apply to me because I'm not married. If you want to get married someday, this will apply to you. <laughs> And so you may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm past marriage age, or maybe I'm a widow or widower. Hey, it still applies because you can still mentor the next generation that's coming after you. So, uh, so, you know, pay attention to this. So Ephesians chapter 5, last week we, we read where Paul said in verse 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. So he's going to carry that over into verse 18 here. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks to the Lord for everything, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So Paul says here, we need to make sure that we're not allowing other things to control our lives. We need to be thankful and live that thankfulness out in every part of our lives, right? Now he's going to say, here's how to live that out in your married life. In verse 21, he says, further, meaning live this out, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, who did he say submit to? To one another as we submit to Christ. Did he say, women, submit to your husbands? Not yet. (laughs) He will. But he says, submit to one another as you submit to Christ. So he says, as you are married, submit to one another. That means love one another, pull one another first, right? So then he says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. And all the men said, woohoo! But hold on. In verse 25, he says, For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot, a wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's also an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today to apply this to our lives. Lord, I pray you would speak to us by your spirit, that you encourage us and challenge us and grow us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've looked at this passage before because we always do a a series on marriage and um, love and relationships. I'm getting the slow down sign, so I'm going to try to slow down. Sorry, Kathleen. So we've done this passage before, but today we're going to look at it a little bit differently because we're going to look at it in line with what Paul is saying here. So first, Paul tells us how we're going to live our lives as Christians and as married Christians. So the first thing he tells us to do is have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. And the way we do that is, number one, is we are filled with the Spirit. So what is this attitude? He says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, allow the Spirit to control you, right? So, and now when he says be filled, it's not just a one-time thing. He's saying you need to be filled all the time. All the time, be filled with the Spirit. All the time, let the Spirit have control in your life. So, it's kind of fun. The word filled also can mean not just full, but it can also mean controlled by. So, you know, in the Bible, it says sometimes they were filled with wrath, or they were filled with anger, we can be filled with the Spirit. We can be filled with Him. So we need to be controlled by the Spirit. We need to be controlled by what He's doing. So we're filled with the Spirit, but also we need to be filled with joy. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with what? The Spirit. How many of you would like to have a relationship where you're both filled with joy? That'd be good, right? Instead of being filled with anger or filled with jealousy, or filled with frustration, we can be filled with joy. (laughs) And so here's the thing, guys. Joy is not happiness, right? right? Nachos make me happy, right? (laughs) Temporarily. 
So that, that can make you happy, but that's fleeting, right? But joy is something that's constant. It's not dependent on how I feel or, or how I am right now. Joy is knowing that everything's going to be good because I have a relationship with Christ. How many of you guys know sometimes your spouse is going to make you happy? Other times your spouse is going to drive you crazy, right? <laughs> there are many times you're not going to be happy to be married, but you're still filled with joy because you're married and you're committed to Christ, right? And it's always fun, like, you see couples start dating, and they're all like, oh, you know, every time I'm around them, I love everything about them. Then about a month later, they're, right? It's like, welcome to relationships, right? And that's what marriage is. Marriage is two lives becoming one. And so Paul said, don't rely on alcohol or other outside things to give you joy. You have to rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit giving you joy. That's how you have joy in your marriage, because you're committed, right? And he says we need to be filled with gratitude, right? He says we need to be filled with gratitude. I love this quote. Uh, this came from a commentator I was reading. He says, how does a grateful heart promote harmony in the home? For one thing, a sincerely grateful person realizes that they're enriched because of others, which is a mark of humility. The person who thinks the world owes him a living is never thankful for anything. He thinks he's doing others a favor by allowing them to serve him. The thankful heart is usually a humble, a heart that gladly acknowledges God as a giver of every good and perfect gift. So guys, when we're married, we need to make sure that we're thankful for our spouse. We're thankful for our kids. We're thankful for our dishwasher, right? <laughs> we're thankful for those things that God gives us. Instead of thinking our family owes us, we in turn submit to one another and love them. And so that's what brings joy in a home. So Paul says, be filled with joy and give thanks to everything, for everything, to God the Father. So guys, make it a point in your marriage, in your relationship, to be thankful for your spouse, to be thankful for your kids, to be thankful for your pets and the things that you have. Because when we have gratitude in our hearts, there's not as much room for anger and jealousy and frustration, Right? So we need to make sure that we take moments to be thankful. So, so we're supposed to have the right attitude, but then he gives us a command. So he moves on from that. I mean, that's hard enough. It's hard enough to be joyful and thankful all the time. Then Paul moves in, and he says that we are supposed to love and submit to one another. Now, at the Last Supper, Jesus gave the disciples a new command. In John 13, 34, Jesus is just getting ready to go to the cross, and he says this, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now, guys, I want you to think about something for a second. How many of you know that our relationships, our marriages, our dating relationships can be a sign to the world that Jesus is real? Because he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. How many of you know your marriage can prove to others that you're really a Christian? Because those people that are out there, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, they're watching how you live. They want to see that this Christianity thing rolls over into your marriage. They want to make sure this Christianity thing is real, and they're going to see if you live it out in your homes. So I remember... When I first gave my life to Christ, I was 16, 
I had this youth pastor at our church. He was kind of new at the church, and they had two young kids, and uh, we were going on a youth trip, and so he's, he was backing the church trailer up to his house to get stuff, and he backed the trailer into his eve on his house. And so we're standing there. We're getting ready to load this trailer. We're going on a camping trip, and we hear this crunch, and he went, <sighs> kind of one of those things, and his wife came out, what did you do? You know, and as well as I was like, oh, this is going to be good. All right, and so I was watching because I'd grown up, you know, <clears throat> fight it out. And they just kind of went, well, it could be worse. It'll be okay. I was shocked. I was like, what kind of people are these? This, this relationship really is real. This thing with Christ really is something. And so that showed me that you can live this out. And so we're supposed to love one another and love others as Christ loves us. And so in this moment... Where Jesus said, I'm giving you a new command. He takes the 600 and something laws of the Old Testament, collapses them down, and says, if you do this, you're going to do everything else. If you love one another as Christ has loved you, you're going you're to fulfill all these laws. So in our marriages, if we're willing to love our spouse and love others, we can do this thing. And so, you know, Jesus could have gone around the table. He was at the Last Supper. He could have said, now, remember... Remember, Luke, what you were when I met you? Matthew, you remember what you were when I met you? You remember, you know, being that tax collector that everybody hated? Judas, well, you know, Judas. You know, he could, he could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he just said, love each other as I've loved you, right? Andy Stanley says the golden rule is to treat others how we want to be treated. He said the platinum rule, even better than the golden rule, is to treat others the way God in Christ has treated us. And that's our job as Christians, and that's our job as husbands and wives, so a few years later, Paul takes this and contextualizes this rule to everyone in every situation. So Paul says, yeah, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Then Paul goes on and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Loving each other is hard enough. Submitting to one another is really tough. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And he says, husbands, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and love your wife as Christ has loved the church. So, you know, in Paul's day, this passage was a big deal because women at that time were considered what? Property. Your wife was, was your belonging. She was, she was this that you had. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Love her as Christ loves the church and submit to one another. Not just wives submit to your husband, but husbands submit to your wives. In other words, put her needs over yours. What? I'm supposed to submit. What? Right? That was crazy talk at the time, but this has been God's plan all along, right? Because he goes back and says, remember, all the way back in Genesis, he says, for this reason a man will what? Leave his mother and father and be united to their wives. You're one in Christ, so you need to submit to one another in Christ. So, and when you see this lived out in a marriage, this is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And so, we need to make sure that we're willing to submit to one another. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Don't look out just for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Even though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. So Paul takes that love one another as Christ loved the church, and 
submit, moved it further down the line and said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands and wives, put your needs, put your spouse's needs before yours. Then he throws their assumptions out the window and says this, husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church. His love for her, he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So instead of saying, husbands, your wife is your property, he, he disrupts their assumptions and says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Give up your life for her. Put her needs above your own. And guys, I'm going to be honest, you know, when we're, when we're all first married, right, that first year is tough, isn't it? I always tell couples, that first year of marriage is hard. And they look at us and say, huh? And I say, no, you don't understand. It is hard. Because you have two different lives doing what? Becoming one. And Paul says the way to do this is submit to one another and love one another. And husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Don't demand your own way all the time. Give up things for her. So what does that look like? What does it look like for husbands and wives to submit to one another? It means taking all those assumptions and things that we think we're owed and throwing them out the window and putting our spouse's needs first. And that's the amazing thing because when we put our spouse's needs above our own, we're going to serve them. And then what does our spouse do? They put our needs above their own and serve us. So then what happens? It's this incredible cycle of loving your spouse and serving them. And when you both do that, it makes this beautiful circle. And that's kind of what a wedding ring looks like, isn't it? There's no beginning. There's no end. And it makes it a lot easier. So husbands, when you love your wife as, like, as Christ loved the church, it makes it a lot easier for your wife to be submissive to you and to what? Respect you. Because that's what Paul says in the last verse. Each, I say again, each man should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, is it easier to respect your husband when he's serving you and putting your needs above your own, his own? Yeah. Husbands, is it easier to love your wife when she respects you and puts your needs above hers? Absolutely. And some of you guys are saying, I'm not married, and I'm not sure I want to now. <laughs> but it's an amazing thing because as you learn to do that, God does incredible things in your marriage. And your marriage becomes a sign to others. And they say, I want that for myself. I want that in my life. I want to see that. And so Paul comes along and tells us to treat our spouse as we want to treat ourselves. And this is an amazing thing because Christ was really the first one to give women stature. Christ was the first one to elevate the position of women. And then Paul comes along and says, hey, Husbands, serve your wives and love them like Christ loved the church. Love them like you love your own body. Take care of them. Some of us need to take care of our wives better than we take care of our own bodies, right? <laughs> so we love our spouse and we put their needs above our own. And then lastly, here's the question. This is the question Paul throws out for all of us. It's a question of value. How do you have value? How do you add value to your spouse? You know, values are really kind of what we live our lives by. There are these two people that were working in a factory one time, and uh, the one guy says, hey, I figured out how to take time off from work and get paid for it. And I said, oh, I got to see this. So the guy climbs up on the rafter, and his boss comes walking in. The guy's hanging upside down from a rafter. And he says, what are you doing? He said, I'm a light bulb. And the guy said, you are way too stressed. You need to go home. And so the guy climbs down and walks out, and his partner starts walking out the door too. He said, wait, where do you think you're going? He said, I can't work in the dark. So... 
That guy had a value. <laughs> he was going home, right? And when you value something, you figure out a way to make it happen. And so Paul says we have to value our relationship with our spouse, and we have to give them that value. Um, we see that in Matthew chapter 19, the religious leaders were always trying to trap Jesus, weren't they? They were always trying to figure out a way to make him say something that they could use to, to put him to death or put him out. And in this, they asked him about divorcing their wives. And now at this time, there were Jewish leaders who said, you could divorce your wife for any reason, as long as you said three times in a row, I divorce you. And it could be, it could be any reason. It could be she doesn't do laundry the way I like it. She doesn't fold my clothes the way I like it. She didn't serve me breakfast. I mean, it could be anything. And they said, you can just say it three times. You give your wife a certificate of divorce and you send her out. Now, that was a big deal because the woman was disgraced, but it was also a big deal because she had no means of support, right? If your husband was out, you know, you had to figure out how to live on your own. So they were, they were trying to trap Jesus in this. And they said, well, is it permissible? Moses told us it was permissible to, to send a woman away for any reason at all. And they're trying to trap him. And so Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 4, says this. Haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But that wasn't what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So basically, Jesus was saying, go home and love your spouse. Quit trying to find a way out and commit to loving your spouse. And he says, this was a, a thing about hard hearts. You're not supposed to have that. And so, guys, when we get married, we are saying we value our spouse. And we're going to live this Christian life out by showing value to our spouse, to the world. This is how we live this thing out. This is how we show the world that Christianity is real. Up in, in chapter 5, Paul was talking about living in the light, walking in the light. And he's saying here, the way that you walk in the light in your marriage is to show value to your spouse to show them what they mean, to show the world what God has done in you and changing your heart. So it was a question of value, and it was also a question of priority. A question of priority. He was saying you have to prioritize your spouse's needs over your own. If you like to read, there's a great book called His Needs, Her Needs. We've talked about it a few times in our, our series on home and relationships. But basically, this guy, his last name is Harley, like the motorcycle Harley. And he says... The men have needs, five needs, basically, and women have five needs. And he says, if you want to have a great relationship, you have to do what? Meet those needs. He says, instead of seeking after what you want, meet those needs in your spouse. And when your spouse meets your needs, it's this really cool cycle, kind of like what God says in the Word, right? There's also another book called The Five Love Languages. It's always five for some reason. The Five Love Languages by Chapman is his last name. And he basically said, you have to figure out how your spouse likes to be loved and show them love in that way by putting their needs above your own. Are you seeing a pattern? It's putting your spouse's needs above your own. Serving your spouse in love through Christ. So this is how we do this thing. This is how we live this thing out. It's putting the value on our spouse that Christ does. And so 
Andy Stanley did this marriage thing, and he, he did this whole series on marriage. And when he did it, he brought this big box up to the front of the church, and he said, inside this box are all of our expectations, and we all bring expectations into marriage. You know, and, and a lot of you probably when you were younger, you wrote out a list of what you wanted in your spouse, right? You know, I want someone tall or I want someone short or I want someone that looks like this or someone who cooks like this or whatever it was. We have these expectations. And when we come into expectations, we just kind of hand those to our spouse, don't we? Here's what I want from you. Have fun with that. And then what happens when they don't meet those expectations? We get aggravated. And a lot of times we start looking for a way out. Because what, what do you hear all the time? This is not what I thought it was going to be. Marriage is not what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be this way. And when we don't get those needs met and we, we don't get those expectations met, we start kind of looking for a way out. Paul's saying instead of that, we need to try to meet our spouse's needs. We need to put their needs above our own, and that'll help us get our needs met. And so it's a question of priority. And then lastly, it's a question of decision. Question of decision. How do we decide to meet our spouse's needs? We just have to make a decision, don't we? How many of you know that love is a choice? Love's not a feeling. It gets used that way a lot. Oh, I love nachos. Oh, I love ice cream. I love this. No. Love is a choice. I'm going to love my spouse as Christ loves my spouse. I'm going to love my spouse when I get up in the morning and I stub my toe on their shoes. And I'm going to love my spouse when they park their motorcycle in the driveway and I can't get my car in. I'm going to love my spouse when I do all these things, right? It's a choice. It's a decision. And guys, here's the thing. This is not going to be popular, but you hear people all the time, I'm looking for that what? That one person for me, right? I'm looking for that one special person. That's great. But guess what? When you stand up in a church or in a park or wherever, and you stand in front of God and all those people, and that pastor says, do you take this person? And you say, I do. Guess what? That's the one for you. You made them the one for you. You made them God's best for you. That's, that's a what? It's a choice. And you're going to love them. It's a choice. There's an old, old song by DC Talk. A lot of you don't know who that is anymore. It was Toby Mac before Toby Mac, right? Yeah. And Michael Tate, yep. And Kevin Max. But um, how can I remember that? But I can't remember what I did yesterday. That's insane. But there's this old song by DC Talk called Love is a Verb. Anybody remember that old one? Love is a verb. It's something that you do. It's an action that you, it's a decision you make, and it's something you act out. So it's a question of decision. I have to choose that I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to choose that I'm going to put their needs above my own. And the guys, the people in the very best relationships are the ones who put their spouse's needs above their own. Because when their spouse turns around and puts their needs above them, then everyone's getting their needs met. So I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come up this morning. And we're going to take a moment and pray. So I'm going to ask you, if you're physically able, would you stand with us this morning?